Well, good morning, everyone. And a, a privilege and a pleasure it is to be with you this morning and to join you in your uh, worship of God. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. It's in the bulletin. It's uh, on the screen. I think we'll be appearing there. Or if you've got a Bible with you, do turn uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, a number of years ago, I went on a trip to Switzerland, and uh, one of the things we were told to go and visit is a place called the, I don't know how to pronounce this, um, Alec Glacier. And uh, we're being told this is one of the, mu- the things you just must see when you go to Switzerland. It's one of the most famous glaciers in the Alps. And so we went on a trip to it. We had to go and uh, a sort of bus for quite a few hours to get to this place. And it was a bit of a disappointment. Uh, a long journey, we were all tired, we were expecting something amazing. And really, it was just a blob of ice on the side of a mountain. Apologies to anyone who may be from Switzerland. However, that sense of disappointment changed when we got closer to it. Um, having arrived there, we then went on a little trek, we followed a trail right down to the edge of the glacier, And it was when we got there that we realised why this place is so famous. And that is, it is huge. It is absolutely huge. You could have parked my hometown on the glacier and still have had plenty of space around the edges. But it was only when we were right next to it we got a sense of the scale of the thing. And I think the burden of the Apostle Paul in this passage in Ephesians chapter 1 is to do the same with our view of salvation. To show us it up close, to give us a true sense of the scale of what God has done for us. And friends, that is something each of us, I'm sure, needs. It is easy, isn't it, to think that Christianity is just, it's just what I believe. It's my pet belief system. And sometimes we can even catch ourselves thinking that we're doing God a favour by believing in him. And so Paul lays before us the scale of the salvation that God has won for us. So let me read our passage uh, to us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, You'll notice that Paul gets straight into it. Uh, There's no kind of lengthy introduction. Uh, Paul doesn't try to warm us up for a few verses. There's no chit-chat, there's no small talk, there's no, how's the weather in Ephesus? Uh, There's no, did you see the tennis the other day at Wimbledon or anything like that? Just seeing if there are any British people here this morning. Paul goes straight in in verse 3, blessed be God. God is to be blessed. He's to be blessed because he has blessed us. And so our blessing of God, our praising of God, is the response to his grace to us. Uh, Paul says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The reason God deserves our praise and our blessing takes Paul just one verse to say. It takes him the rest of this passage to unpack and it will take us the whole of our lives to grasp and explore. We bless God because he has blessed us. Now, I don't know what the word blessing means to you. I was um, in my office the other day, and uh, for some reason I had a sneezing fit. And so a chorus of bless yous came uh, from various parts of the building as uh, I kind of disturbed everyone's peace. Where I come from, saying bless you, it's a nice gesture. But God's blessing is far more than a gesture, it is far more than a sentiment. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has cleaned out the cupboards. Every spiritual blessing that he has to give us is found for us in Christ. Now again, for some of us, the the phrase spiritual blessings may not sound very exciting. It doesn't sound very real. Um, There's a trend in the UK at the moment to kind of give alternative kind of Christmas presents. Uh, So you might give someone the fact that a star has been named after them. Uh, You can buy someone a few acres on Jupiter. And uh, you get these things and you think, well, that's, that's kind of nice, but it's nothing I can put my hands on. It's not tangible. It's not real. Well, these blessings God gives to us are real. And they come to us, we're told, by his Spirit. They are spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And in case you're still wondering what it means to be blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing, 
Paul begins to unpack it in these next verses. And verses 3 to 14 are all one long sentence in Paul's original Greek. Uh, There is no punctuation. There is no pause for breath. Uh, The people who've translated the Bible for us have been kind. They've given us sentences so that we don't faint when we read it out loud. But Paul is off on one. This is one long uh, spiel praising God for what he's done for us. Paul can't contain himself. He's a bit like a child who's just been given lots of presents and he's saying, look at this one. Oh, well, look at this one. Look at this one. There is so much for us to see. But Paul is not random in what he says. As he goes through these blessings that we've received, he moves from thinking about God the Father to God the Son and then down to God the Spirit um, at the end of our passage. And a phrase he repeats at the end of each section, uh, we see there in verse 6. End of verse 6. No, where is it? No, verse... Where is it? I've lost it. Talk about the the praise of his glorious grace. It is in verse 6. There it is. Uh, You see that in verse 6. You see it in verse 12. To the praise of his glory. And you see it at the end of verse 14. To the praise of his glory. Each person of the Trinity is a cause for us to praise God. So let's just think about each person and why we should praise them for what has happened uh, through them. So firstly, Paul says that we have been chosen by God the Father. So again, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God has chosen us. Friend, if you are a Christian brother or sister, God has chosen you. God always makes the first move in the Bible. It is he who initiates relationship with us, not the other way around. And some of us might think, well, I chose God, I remember it. And Paul would say to us, you did, but only because God first chose you. And Paul shows us why it is that God did choose us. Again, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, I don't know what it's like um, here in Dubai, but back in the UK and in many other places, if you go to the shopping mall, there is normally somebody there holding a kind of clipboard and they want to ask you questions to sell you something. Do you get that in Dubai? Not much. You're very lucky if you don't. But okay, you just see these people hovering, waiting for someone to pounce on. And normally when I'm shopping, I'm in a rush. I don't like shopping in the first place. So I don't want to be there any longer than I have to. But there was one day I was on, I had a day off. I was walking through the mall. Uh, I was feeling leisurely. I was in no rush. And I saw someone with a clipboard come towards me. And I wanted to reward them for their, their you know, discernment in coming to me to ask their questions. And so I thought, well, I'll give them a few minutes. I'll see what they have to say. And the first question this person asked me was, have you ever thought about having plastic surgery? (laughs) And I began to realise I'd been chosen by them, but it wasn't flattering. (laughs) 
Well, God has chosen us, friends, and again, it is not flattering. God has chosen us to be holy and blameless because that is precisely what we are not by nature. On our own, we are unholy and we are blameworthy. And so God has chosen us to change us. But more than that, Paul tells us when God chose us. There in verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Again, Christian brother or sister, God chose you before creation. There was a time before this world existed, and in that pre-creation eternity, God had a determination. He formed a purpose in his mind to have you as one of his people. Now that raises a whole host of questions, doesn't it? Good questions. But we mustn't miss the force of what Paul is saying here. Because Paul is wanting us to see that it is God who is in control of our salvation. God's plan to save us wasn't cooked up or improvised as God tried to kind of cope with our sin. It's not the case that your future has been hanging in the balance, but God at some point in your lifetime decided to finally swing in your favour. No, God planned to choose you before creation. And so your salvation is not contingent on anything else. And friends, that is such a comfort, is it not? Because we feel our vulnerability, don't we? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We can feel how easily we might buckle under the pressure of opposition. We can feel how easily we might be led astray. We feel how easily we could be tempted by sin away from Jesus. We feel our vulnerability and say, friend, listen to this wonderful truth. God chose you. And he chose you before you had any interest in him. He chose you before you knew what you were about. He chose you before you even entered the frame. He chose you before there was space and time. And so your salvation does not depend on you. It is in his hands. To the praise of his glorious grace. And so we bless God the Father for his choice. And then secondly, in verse 7, Paul moves on to think about Jesus. We've been chosen by the Father, but secondly, we've been rescued by the Son. Now, as we read through the passage, you may have noticed something that Paul was hammering home, and that is the fact that our salvation is all about Jesus. Uh, You can't get away from it. We've received every blessing in Jesus. All the way through, Paul would say, in him, in him, 
we have been blessed and we have been saved. In this one sentence, Paul mentions Jesus 15 times. He talks about us being in Christ 11 times. And so therefore, as we think about our salvation, we praise God for his Son. Have a look with me at verse 7. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We have been rescued by the Son. Now, my very earliest memory is of being on a family holiday. Uh, We were in southern England. We were staying in a hotel somewhere. And uh, I was at that age that little boys get to when they realise what their legs are for. And I discovered that I could run. And so if I was going anywhere, I was running there as fast as I could. And I remember, this is my first memory, that this hotel had a massive garden uh, round the back. And something at the very far end of the garden had caught my attention. And so I was sprinting my way um, across this garden. And so focused was I on whatever it was I was trying to get to, I wasn't in the slightest bit put off by the presence of a large swimming pool in my way. And an onlooker said, apparently, I just tried to run across the swimming pool. And just like in one of those cartoons, my my legs kind of worked in mid-air for a few moments before gravity won over and I plunged in. Now, I was a toddler. I, I couldn't swim. I could only just run. But thankfully, my dad was on hand. He had been sitting and watching the whole thing. And as soon as I went to the, into the pool, Dad ran up, dived in, scooped me out, and then took me back to my family. And I don't remember this bit, but I like to think Dad had a bit of a swagger as he took me back, the sort of hero having saved his son. Well, I was rescued that day by my dad. And I'm sure most of us have a story like that. It's the nature of toddlers to try to sort of put themselves in danger's way, isn't it? But the biggest rescue any of us can experience comes through the Son. Jesus says, through the Son we've been redeemed, we've been rescued, we've been delivered from our sins. Jesus has paid for them on our behalf. And the fact that we've been redeemed means that we were captive. We weren't free. We were slaves to sin and death. We were under their control. And yet Jesus has redeemed us. He's delivered us. And his payment, in verse 7, was his blood. That is how we've been forgiven. Through his death, everything that bound us to sin and death was taken by him. And the result, as Paul says, is forgiveness of our trespasses. Everything forgiven and wiped clean. But notice that rescue isn't just redemption, it also involves revelation. Because Paul says in verse 9 that through Jesus we also have been shown the mystery of God's will. God hasn't just forgiven us in an arm's length kind of way, He's drawn us into a relationship with himself. And he's made known to us the mystery of his will. 
He's shown us his plan for the world. Did you see it there in verses 9 and 10? Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, mystery in the Bible doesn't mean something we can't understand. It means something that was hidden, but has now been revealed. And it's through Christ's rescue that we can now see what God is doing with the whole of creation. We can see his plan for this universe. It's been made known to us, and it is all about Jesus, uniting all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth, which I think covers everything, right? All of it to be united in Jesus. We've been saved by Jesus and we've been saved for Jesus. Everything is for him. And so friends, this is a hard thing for us to learn, but it is wonderfully liberating. God's plan is far, far more than just about me and my faith. I am not the goal of God's plan. God's plan is for everything to be ordered, united under Jesus. All things, we're told, were created by him and for him. All things are held together by him. And one day, all things will be united under Jesus Christ. This is God's wide-angle lens. So God has shown us eternity past. We were chosen before creation. And now he shows us eternity future with everything finding its place under Jesus. And again, it's only through being in Christ that we see that. What God has done with us, he is doing with all creation bringing it under the lordship of Jesus. So again, no wonder Paul can say that this might be to the praise of God's glory. Now friends, it's worth bearing in mind where Paul was when he was writing this. Uh, Paul was a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He wasn't writing this from his kind of beach resort in Thailand. He wasn't writing this from Apostle Paul Ministries in the States. He wasn't writing this from a, a Swiss mountain chalet. As Paul is writing these words, he is most likely chained to a guard. Just imagine that. Paul can't even go to the loo without a large Italian soldier having to follow him. But look at his perspective. Look at what matters to him. If you are a Christian, what is most fundamental to you is not whether you are in prison or whether you are in debt or whether you're in love or in turmoil or in wealth or in want. What is most fundamental to any of us who are Christian is that we are in Christ. We have been rescued by the Son to the praise of his glorious grace. 
And then finally, Paul shows us that we have been sealed with the Spirit. Verse 13, that phrase again, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We praise God because we've been chosen by the Father. We praise him because we've been rescued by the Son. And we praise him because we have been sealed with the Spirit. And Paul takes his readers through the kind of, the timeline of how they came to be God's people. Again, verse 13, when you heard the word of truth and when you believed, that is when you were sealed. You were chosen before creation. But it was when you heard the gospel word and God gave you faith, that is when we were sealed. Now, friends, there is a lot we can say about the work and the person of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Spirit and his impact in our lives. But Paul's focus here seems to be on how through the Spirit we have been marked as belonging to God. We bear the seal of his ownership. Um, in England, if you have a farm with, with cows on it or sheep, uh, you will do something to each animal to show that they are yours. Uh, if you've got a cow, you will brand it. If you've got a sheep, you will, you will dab it with paint to show that that sheep belongs to you. And though it's not a flattering comparison, Paul is saying God has marked each one of us as belonging to him. Now, I remember when I was a small boy, I had this little plastic contraption. And what you did with it, you, you punched letters onto a strip of sticky back plastic so you could make little labels. Now, I don't know how old I was, but I was going through that kind of very territorial stage that you go through as a, as a young boy. And so what I was using this thing for was I kept typing out the label, this belongs to Sam over and over and over again, and sticking it on everything that I felt was mine. And really, I mean everything. Uh, on my bed, on my toys, on individual pieces of Lego, if they were, you know, the particularly important bits. Uh, I think the cat had one stuck to her at one point. And I like to think I've grown out of it, but actually I bought a, a couple of books recently and the first thing I instinctively did was I wrote my name in the front. <laughs> a mark of my ownership. Well, friends, we are the possession of God. And he has marked us as belonging to him by his spirit. And this is why it is such wonderfully encouraging news that he has because God has saved us, we're told, according to his good pleasure. According to his purpose. It wasn't just something God felt he had to do in order to be a good God. It wasn't something he did begrudgingly as an obligation. 
It wasn't his good deed for the day. No, God has chosen to have us for himself. And so again, Christian brother or sister, God is pleased to have you as his possession. It wasn't something he had to do. It was something he chose to do. As I mentioned earlier, I don't like shopping. I've got a condition which means I don't like shopping. It's called being male. And so one of the things I find hardest each year is when I have to do all my Christmas shopping. And I try and save it all up for one shopping trip, normally quite late on Christmas Eve, if I've, if I've got my act together that particular year. And uh, it, it's exhausting going around trying to think of what to get. I've got lots of cousins and aunts and uncles. I've got to find something for each of them. And so what I do is I, at the end of the shopping trip, I think of one thing that I then buy myself as a reward for having done all the shopping. (laughs) For all these presents for other people, I get one little thing for me. It's my treat. And Paul is saying that we are God's present to himself. He has purchased us according to his purposes, according to to his pleasure. And it is the work of the Spirit to give us that inner assurance that this is so. That we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and that we can rely on. So friends, blessed be God because the Father has chosen us, the Son has redeemed us and the Spirit has sealed us. And can I encourage you to take this passage and to feed on it this week. Treat it like one of those amazing meals you you sometimes get. Just every once in a while, someone makes the most amazing meal and savour every single mouthful. Ponder over every sentence. And bless God for each truth that Paul gives us here. Too easily our view of our salvation shrinks. We think we understand it. It becomes familiar. Well, may God, by his word in Ephesians 1, enlarge our vision. That we might bless the God who's blessed us. Let me pray. Our Father, we bless you for your grace. We bless you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in him we can know you. In him we were chosen. We've been adopted. We can call you our Father. And we pray that you would help us to keep 
worshipping and blessing you for all that you've done for us. And we pray in that wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.